This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. A lot going on. David Hale, Andrew Adelson coming up in a moment. Uh, first full day of the Atlantic Coast Conference spring meetings. I was asked earlier this week, how do these work? Well, they're, they're, there's not really a summer meeting. This will be the next meeting until fall or fall, winter, and spring meetings. The spring meeting, however, has often been regarded in this league as the most critical because it kind of sets the table for what lies ahead. Well, and what we've gone through. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about the change in college athletics, the landscape in the last two years, completely flip-flopped upside down. And really since July 1st of right. last summer when name, image, and likeness hit the scene, and uh, that's, guess what? We're still looking around going, wow, anybody get the number of that bus that just zipped through here? Because yeah. it has changed everything in college sports. And, of course, the NCAAs, we were rudely interrupted by Steve Forbes in the last second. Uh, <laughs> made some guidelines yesterday. And, again, we appreciate all the coaches stopping by. And, there, by the way, just so folks know, there's meetings taking place literally as we speak. Yeah. And the football coaches, basketball coaches, all the movers and shakers of the ACC are literally – on the other side of the camera here in meetings. So we'll try to grab some people while we can. But the landscape has totally changed, Wes. And there's a lot of folks, and you heard Mike Bray say, hey, what are our marching orders? Yeah. What are the rules? How are we going about this? I mean, there are big-time movers and shakers here to try to explain here is kind of what we want to do right now. Okay, let's start with this scheduling notion and what it means to college football. Chris Vanini uh, posted something yesterday that is kind of the newsmaker of this process, and then we'll get to what Pete Thamel said is particularly on the table. The NCAA Football Oversight Committee recommended removing the requirements for an FBS conference to have a championship game. It's expected to pass the D1 Council later this month. That happens before Memorial Day. That'll open the door for conferences to scrap divisions and make new scheduling formats. Now, Probably really important to tell you that none of this happens immediately. So it wouldn't be a 2022 thing. It would, however, potentially be a 23 thing. Now, the first part, people say, well, wait a second. Why would somebody want to get rid of a championship game? Now, they probably keep the championship game because that's a revenue stream, right? Right. But what they do is they can look at their scheduling model. Pete Thamel, who will join us in the 9 o'clock hour, or, in, yeah, top of the 9 o'clock hour, reported yesterday that the ACC is looking during these meetings at pods, one model being discussed, three permanent opponents, not necessarily pods of three, and other five programs rotating on and off the schedule every other year. The goal here, Pack, it's simplistic. It's like the goal that when they started divisions, how fast can you move through, how much more efficient can you be, and nobody's kidding anybody here, how much better television can you create from this? Well, there's two things that Pete talked about. There's, there's the pod of three. There's also the pod of two, uh, in which in the span of four years, you have a rotation of six. Everybody has a chance to see everybody home away and everything else. I, I think at the end of the day, I, I pick whichever one you want. Okay. I, I'm good either way from All a right. personal standpoint as a fan. Again, I'm on the couch watching games. You're broadcasting. But as a fan... I want to see the league all play each other. I mean, the one right. thing that we always talk about is, man, it's a shame we don't get a chance to see Team X play Team Y, but once every six or seven years. Correct. That's kind of crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I know expansion changed that landscape in terms of realignment and scheduling and so forth, but I think fans want to see teams more often within your league. And if it can free you up to then also play 
whatever non-conference right. opponents you want to go, and wherever that happens to go down the road, we will see. But I'm good either way on this one. I really don't have a feel one way or the other that it should be three or two as your permanent, and then you rotate everybody else. I think just the rotation where everybody has a chance to see everybody on a semi-consistent basis is a good thing. Okay, here's the one question I think fans are going to ask, though. Does non-division play or division play fit better in the new world of the college football playoff, right? That's what you ultimately have to decide on when you sit in these rooms. How does one favor the other toward a bigger field? You have to operate as if the 12 teams already been approved, don't you? Well, I think that's where we're going. Uh, and I, I mean, to think that we're going to stay status quo at four, and we will now for the next four years, given the fact that what's happened in the last year. But at some point in time, when this goes out to bids, Wes, and whoever bids on it, because I think it's going to be multiple media Absolutely. partners. Absolutely, I agree with opinion. you on that. Um, at that point in time, I do think the number is going to go to at least 12. I mean, eight worst case, 12 probably. Sure. It may even be larger than that. Who knows what the landscape is going to look like in college athletics four years and now, much less four months from now. Right. So I think the mindset, though, if you're a league member or if you're a fan of an ACC team or really any conference for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, is, hey, all right, what's a schedule going to look like? I, I think ADs obviously want to – and you hear about attendance issues in college football all the time. Fans don't want to fork over crazy dollars if you're going to go play roast beef A&M three times on your schedule. It'll be like, hey, listen, you go use my tickets. I'm not using them this week. That's a problem. You need to schedule people that people want to see those respective games. I talked to Pat Narduzzi last night. You know, they open up with West Virginia. That is, to me, a a perfect example of a game that got lost with realignment and expansion. The backyard brawl should be played every single year. West Virginia's even going to play Virginia Tech. That's a game that they basically put on the back burner because really both sides need to cool off from the fan base because of friction and everything else. But that is a game that fans want to be a participant in. So from a scheduling standpoint, I think the more conference games you can play against your basically, my buddy, hey, you know what, North Carolina and Wake don't need to play as a non-conference game. Make that a conference game for crying out loud. So I think from a fan's perspective, the more of those conference games you can play, great. But also understand we're going to eventually have an expanded college football playoff. Don't forget you can always share your thoughts with us on Twitter, uh, at ACC Network. Use the hashtag Packer in Durham. Uh, You're always welcome to hit Mark and I individually. Uh, Mike Lewis uh, says eliminate divisions, go to a nine-game conference schedule, select three permanent playing conference rivals per school. Now, there's the talk about nine, but I'm not hearing nine as much as I'm hearing eight, Pack. Well, the problem with nine, not to play devil's advocate here, but I'm going to, is you will also then have people go, oh, hey, Team X gets five home games, four away, and i got to play four conference games and five away. Nine's a tricky number, right? And and then you've got some, obviously, some schools in the league. uh, When you start talking about the relationship that they've got with the SEC at the end of the year, Florida State playing Florida, Clemson's playing South Carolina, Louisville's playing Kentucky, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And that is a game. I think from an ACC perspective, and I think from the SEC too, not that I'm speaking for them, but those are games fans love. That yep. year-end rival in-state game, there's nothing quite like it. You don't want to lose those games. Yeah. And I speak on behalf, really, of the ACC on this network, but I think even SEC fans go, hey, you know what, that's a game we like at the end of the year. Uh, here is Lennon who says, have the big four, that's Duke, Carolina, Wake, and State, play every year. Each team has to play three of the same teams every year and then alternate the other five games between the league. The two teams with the best record meet in Charlotte, not just the team with the best record, and whoever 
went eight and four in the Coastal. Um, Lennon, I think if you see the three-team rotation, if you will, the permanent three and then the rotating five, I do not think you will see uh, any of those big four have the other three as the permanent. I just don't think that's possible in the math. Uh, I, I think the way it's going to work is you're going to see Wake with one or two of the others and a rotator, Duke with one or two and the rotator, Carolina the one or two of the rotator state. I mean, that's just the way that's going to have to work, I think, given that it's a 14-team football league that goes from Massachusetts to South Florida. Probably right. Uh, again, we haven't, we don't have yeah, the We inside. don't know, but yeah. We, we, they don't invite us to the meetings. I know you find that hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in a perfect world, I think that if you live in Tobacco Road, you sit there and go, oh, great, we all just play each other and no, let everybody else. Just get a car and drive everywhere. Yeah, let everybody else worry about their own problems. Right. Uh, it probably will be a little more complex than that, would be my guess. And you're right, Wes, with 14, you're juggling 14 balls in the air here. Right. Is it uh, possible to keep everybody happy? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's possible to have teams play each other on a more regular basis, which I think is the the end game here. That That is definitely the end game is a more frequent rotation through the league. Uh, here is Coach Rob who says you play three of the other 13 schools every year. The other 10 go into two groups of five. Home and home, one group for two years. Then home and home, other group for two years. That way you play everyone at least half the years. Right now it goes way too long before you play some schools. Rob, I like your rotation math, by the way. And someone who's not great in math, I like the way you did that. Uh, And that's the goal. In a nutshell, that's the goal. How frequently can you move through the league? And is some of this epitomized by the lack of Wake Carolina State Duke? Yes, some of it is. Some of it's also epitomized by the lack of Clemson, Virginia Tech play. Right, it's a game we want to see, right? right? Two great fan bases, great venues, and you expect Virginia Tech and Coach Pry to get it going on, Dabo doing his thing. Or Boston College, Carolina, or well, Georgia Tech playing, you know, Louisville or whatever the case may be. Well, and that's why I, I'm good either way, whether it be three permanent or right. two permanent, because I, I think both of those are an upgrade over currently what you have. And that's why I'm, hey, let the smart and, people figure out which way it needs to be. But the bottom line is you want to be able to see these games on a consistent basis. Right. And, and that's something that has been lacking with the current situation. And, and don't forget also, it also has to work in the dynamic, though, of the way your television network, in this case ACC network and ESPN, that also factors into it. No doubt. And if, don't fool yourself on that. I mean, TV still dictates policy in some respects on that standpoint. And you want better games, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fans want to say, listen, if you're going to charge me X – I'm willing to go ahead and give you the dollars if you tell me I have a much better home schedule. Yep. That's all you're asking for as a fan. From a television perspective, hey, the more times you can put great games, great setups, great environments, conference or non-conference games, yep. the better off you're going to be. And ESPN, ABC, that hey, they're in the business to provide you great games. Yep. That's the way it works. All right, Hokey Mark finishes this up here. Uh, three annual plus five rotators. Forget, quote, fair. Choose the three maximum for juice. <laughs> Spread out over the season with fixed weeks. Example, Virginia Tech might have Wake in week one, Louisville week seven, UVA on Black Friday every year, TV set rotating marquee games like FSU, Clemson, and Miami. I tell you what, not only do we have great student athletes, we have logical, well-thought-out tweets from fans this morning. Well, I would also tell you, and I think this is why in the back of your mind you got to also think from a college football playoff perspective, <laughs> When this thing expands, and it's going to, we're not going to stay at four forever, 
you also want to have as many teams in your league within opportunity. So you, it, you, those games sound great mm -hmm. and juicy, and there should be some in terms of the rotation. But at the end of the day, you're looking to get multiple teams in the college football playoff. Well, and think about this, too. Can you get to a scenario where you get to the final week of the regular season like we do in basketball where we have the battle for the double bye? How many teams can you have with a legitimate shot, right? That's, that's what you're ultimately looking for. Right, in a perfect world. Yep. That's absolutely right. All right, great stuff. We'll get to more of that coming up. That schedule conversation, by the way, continues through the week. Don't forget we've got the ACC softball championship from Pittsburgh. It starts tomorrow, uh, 1 and 3.30. Uh, Syracuse Louisville at 1, NC State Georgia Tech at 3.30. Both first-round games available right here on ACC Network. It's presented by Auto Owners Insurance and also available live on the ESPN app. When we come back, we go to the think tank of ESPN.com with Andrew Adelson and David Hale. Inside the meetings, what are we going to find out? What do they think priority one is coming out of here? They join us for a half hour starting next on Packer and Durham. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham, beautiful Amelia <laughs> Island. More outtakes from a Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, nothing like a couple pieces of chicken walking around the swamp to get your attention in the morning. But this is a gorgeous place, so really, Amelia Island, absolutely spectacular. Uh, kids, welcome back. We're getting ready to go four wide in our version of the McLaughlin Report. All right. Um, with uh, Andrea Adelson and David Hale of ESPN.com. So we got a lot of, lot of camera space we're going to cover here in just a minute. Uh, but we have a lot of things to do. David Hale, of course, Andrea Adelson, welcome. Great to have everybody. Looking forward to spending a half hour here. Uh, Pac, where do we want to start? Um, you know what? Let, let's start with scheduling since we just kind of transitioned in from the last segment. Andrea, I'll lead with you. Uh, I told Wes, it doesn't matter to me. You want to go two permit, three permit? I think either one of them is an upgrade over what you currently have. Just get rid of the divisions and then figure it out. I mean, we've been talking about this for years, and then as we reported in January, there was momentum to get there, right. and now they're finally talking about, okay, what's the configuration going to look like? I kind of like the three because a lot of teams in this league do have more than one or two rivals or right. teams that they like to play often. I kind of like that model, but the fact that there are coaches in this league, like Dave Clawson, who's never played Miami, come on, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, so, yes, let's just do whatever scheduling model you want as long as the divisions are gone. David? Yeah, this is one of those things that I think what Andrew is sort of getting at here is we let uh, great get in the way of good for a long time here where it was, we've we got to figure out this perfect system. And meanwhile, we're just dealing with an obviously flawed way of doing things for the longest time. It's certainly not the ACC is the only one doing that. Right. I, I do agree with Andrea, though. I think I like the three better. Just be, What you don't want to lose here is rivalries. And there, there are some that are just sort of kind of quirky, weird rivalries that you don't think of traditionally. But if you're on Twitter and watch the two fan bases go at each other, you realize, like, oh, Virginia Tech and North Carolina really don't like each other. Some of, some of those games like that, that you don't want to lose that on a consistent basis. But, I mean, again, is anybody going to miss Wake Syracuse every year? I think we can move along with things okay. a little better than that. I want to be the uh, the old guy in the room for a minute, okay? <laughs> well, that's Come a on, first. Yes. <laughs> I think you really set us all up for that one. I did. Yeah. All right. 
Here, here's the part, and, and I'm going to say that I did talk to an athletic director who sat in the room when the divisions were drawn, okay? And I think we have to admit, given the landscape at the time, they had the best intentions when they drew Atlantic and Coastal. We just never got the game <laughs> that the divisions were drawn to create. Which that would have been Florida State okay. and Miami, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> right. We never got that game. So, but the problem is the landscape around those divisions, and this is not the only league, right, that's had this issue pack. The landscape around those divisions has changed so dynamically that you've now got to go to something like this because, as we just talked about, we're going to have 12 teams. It's, a, it's not if, it's when. So you've got to change the rotations here and come up with the most applicable system to compete with more than one team, right? That's got to be the goal in this. It can't be to get your rival games. That's important. But you've got to get a system that fits to the bigger game, don't you? Absolutely. There's two big things at, at stake here. And you mentioned one, which is the playoff. When it expands, the goal has to be how do you get the most number of teams into the playoff? That's revenue. That's TV. That's quality of league considerations. The second is just TV inventory in general, because the more you can match up good teams and create games that people want to see, the more the TV networks are interested. Having that inventory, again, we're not knocking uh, Wake Forest, Syracuse. Those can occasionally be good games. In fact, the last couple have been fun Absolutely. games. But the fact of the matter is there's not a demand for that year in and year out. So creating some other inventory that will boost the overall value of the ACC TV product beyond just Wes and, and Pac, that which is really carrying the load right now, uh, that's really, I think that's a, at the forefront of these discussions. So when we talked to one AD yesterday and said, how would you describe these conversations? He said, there is momentum to move the value of the league forward. It wasn't scheduling, it's the value of the that? league. But you know, I had a conversation last night with a coach who will remain nameless, who said, you know what, I like divisions. You know, I, I like that we can play for something and when, whether we win the championship or not, Guess what? We are the champions of the Atlantic, the coast, or whatever you, name you want to come up with. That's what they are now. And so he wasn't necessarily like gung-ho over, hey, guess what? We got 14 teams in the league. You don't want to be the guy that finishes 13th. And people say, guess what? What's wrong with you? You're the 13th place team out of 14, as opposed to, hey, I finished in fourth or fifth place in the coastal division. It's just a thought. Well, and the coastal division has been the division Everybody that has been most in favor, right? right. Seven different teams in seven years until this Everybody year. Gets a uh, well, it's true because yeah. they like saying, hey, we're a division champ. That's something that they can hang sure. their hat on. They can get to a championship game. We have been talking about getting rid of divisions for how long now? I don't know, eight, nine years. And every time they've had a vote, it's been along division lines. Coastal wants the divisions. Atlantic is sick and tired of Clemson mm -hmm. and Florida State dominating that side of the division. And, and so they want to get rid of them. But now, I think because of where we're headed in this sport with the playoff and with branding and marketing the league, it doesn't matter what some of these people may want. Okay. It's what's best for the league. All right. Can we agree that here in Amelia Island, it's an eight-game situation. It's not a nine-game situation. Nobody is pushing the nine. That was relevant a couple of years ago. A lot of people were pushing nine because of the value of the network, television partnerships, everything else. Is nine dead across the board, though, nationally? That's the question I have. As you guys see it from that landscape, does the ACC, is, are they going to be okay playing eight 
Pack mentioned the year-end rivalries we're all familiar with in the SEC. Is everybody going to be comfortable with eight? Is there still any issue about not nine? I think what inherently is going to stop nine from happening is that you have those core of those intra-league rivalries. And for those teams, if you're Florida State, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, uh, the, the problem is that getting the number of home games you need for the revenue that comes in when you're playing every other year and out-of-conference road game, right. then if you go to nine and you have to maybe play five road games in league one year, it just becomes a very difficult puzzle to solve where you get the seven home games you need to meet your financial requirements on one end. And frankly, look, the, the ACC has been very good at getting teams into the playoff prior to last year. The schedule has set up well for the league. I don't think there's any reason to mess with success on that front. And in fact, I mean, we're hearing more and more from those leagues that were complaining about the ones that had eight games because they had nine thinking, well, maybe eight's the right answer after all. Well, that's the one thing I always got a kick out of. I always hear heard from people that play nine conference games and go, well, the ACC and the SEC, they need to do what we're doing. I'm thinking, excuse me, in terms of the college football playoff era, those are the two leagues who have been consistent. The SEC has been a great standard, obviously, but the ACC, other than last year's hiccup, they've been, they've been in right. every year. They're ready to play. But here's the other thing, too. College football attendance is doing this, right? ADs are looking around going, hey, I've got to schedule games that my fan base is interested in. That's why I do like the idea from a scheduling standpoint, whether you go to two or three permanent your conference schedule automatically gets better. You start playing teams on a more consistent basis that your fans want to see. I also think eight makes sense for what David just talked about, is that, hey, if you're Clemson, you're Louisville, you're Georgia Tech, and you're Florida State, you don't want to lose that relationship with your SEC rival, and I think it's probably reciprocated. I think the SEC wants to lose it either. But you also want to have schedule in terms of non-conference games that people want to go see. The league, in my opinion, has done a great job at least scheduling non-conference opponents where before we get to the season, you go, wow, there's 15 or 20 really good games. Now, winning them has been an issue, <laughs> right, which is a separate story. But scheduling, and that's what we're talking about, I think the league's done a really, really good job. Well, you could argue the league has done the best job of all the conferences playing those marquee national non-conference games. Aside from whether they win them or not, right, right. that has been a hallmark since before Jim Phillips, since the very beginning with John Swafford, we got to get ourselves on the national stage. Okay, the next step is winning our fair share of those games. We've already seen the model without divisions. It happened during the pandemic, and I know Notre Dame was in it for a year, but aside from Notre Dame, there were some really compelling conference matchups that were great and elevated the entire conference. So for me, if I'm looking at it, I'm saying, we've already done this, and it was really successful for us. Let's keep doing more of that. Hmm. I, it, this is going to be really interesting because Mark tells you about, you know, the coach who says, well, you know, divisions kind of work here. But in all honesty, the pathway with everything changing tells you to believe that the straight shot standings is the best plan. It's got to be the best plan because it gives you, again, more opportunity to have teams compete. Um, we'll be kidding. Our, Let me just interrupt. You know what's interesting to me? Hmm is it's almost as if what league wants to do this first? I mean, the SEC is kind of going through this with Oklahoma, Texas. They, they got a whole different set of issues that they got to try to figure out with how, what does it look like? The Big Ten has whispered down the hallway that, hey, you know what? Basically, the East is dominant. Every time the guy wins yep. at the East, they end up winning the championship, and it really is a, a counterbalance that doesn't make sense. The ACC is having that conversation this week. I think it's ironic out of all of this, the Big 12 goes through expansion, 
they've had it right, if you will, from day one. And now their conversation is, hey, we should go to different divisions. So it really just goes to show you how crazy the landscape is that not everybody, even within the Power Five, is on the same page. I think a little bit of it is, too, and we've learned this really, COVID, I think, started sending this message very strongly, is we need to be more nimble. We need to be able to uh, make changes like this when they are needed, when the data shows and supports that this is better, and not have a six, seven year conversation about doing this. It needs to be something that can be implemented tomorrow, basically, if you want to be able to be successful. And I think this is some of those things, this is, that's a hard lesson to learn in this sport, which often moves very slowly. But as everybody knows, the last two years have been a whirlwind, and I think everybody else is trying to keep up now. Which makes those non-conference football games that were scheduled last week in 2035 really impactful. <laughs> Looking right. forward to those. You know that's my favorite thing. I know. God, I know. why would you schedule something beyond 10 years at this point, right? Well, especially we, during the pandemic when they did it so fast. Exactly. Thank you. Those non-conference games were put together in a matter of weeks. Thank you. Yes, very well. All right, when we come back. I told you we got all the answers. (laughs) I know, we're going to wait. Wait till we come back because we haven't even talked about the portal or NIL yet. Are you kidding? And I'm not letting Andrea and David walk out of here without some thought on that. It's Tuesday morning. We're at Amelia Island. And Packer's walking on the beach but not touching the water later when we come back. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham, again, uh, I've got uh, two to one odds that this guy's not going to survive by Thursday. <laughs> Call me crazy. But uh, Crocodile Dundee Jr. here, I don't know why anybody thought this was a good idea. This is a perfect example of why you should go get an education. Because when you don't get a quality education, you get this job. That's, that's a Florida grad, I'm sure. Over there. <laughs> hey, well, we have Gatorland in Orlando. Has anyone been to Gatorland in Orlando? I, no. I have been there when I was a kid. It terrified me. I thought I was going to die. They actually, like, allow you to come up close to the alligators. Oh, yeah, sure. it's, a, it's a little frightening. And then they've got guys feeding, like, the dead chickens, like, straight up to them yeah, right now. Where do I house. sign up for that job? That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like something I really want to get into. I can get you a job at no, It's a great I'm cocktail going. party job where somebody's like, what do you do? Oh, I taunt alligators for a living. Yeah. Yeah, right, that's a good idea. What's our countdown to Italy, by the way? Just let uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm about 10 days away from not worrying about the guy getting eaten alive on television. All right, welcome back, Andrea Adelson's here, David Hale. They'll cover this event for ESPN.com. You can read their good work there over the next couple days. Okay, so here is, this is the first full day. Uh, we got meetings going on about 30 feet from here, all sorts of different kinds of meetings. What do we think transpires today is there anything that comes out today that'll be impactful long term are we building toward thursday when we get announcements and resolutions and hey it really went well for us i think that a lot of today is about getting people on the same page creating the same messaging even if you're not necessarily in favor of whatever comes out of all of this you know it's always like we don't have a vote until it's unanimous kind of thing and i think it's about rallying the troops behind an idea even if it's not the perfect idea and i think that has been one of jim phillips primary responsibilities and goals as he has taken over as commissioner. I mean, we've had a lot of talk about we need to make this a football-centric conference. We need to change mindsets. I think a lot of what he's saying is not do X, Y, Z action items, but be more amenable when we have something that is going to help football. Don't say, well, yeah, but what about, what about, what about? No, it's 
this is going to help football. Let's move it forward. We need to make it happen. So I think a lot of this is, particularly since they haven't been here in these rooms together three for three years, years now, yeah. it is about getting everybody on the same page, building a consensus that uh, can, you can put forward, and it looks as if there was never any debate about it in the first place. Everybody's on the same and page. And three years ago, Andrea? AD landscape was different. Coaching landscape was different. Absolutely. And I think one of the things coaches have reiterated to us is how much they appreciate all the interactions that they've had with Jim Phillips because he's willing to listen to them and to hear them out with some of their ideas. That was one of the most valuable things about yesterday. Not so much the topic of discussion, but that they were all in the room together with Jim Phillips, and he described it as a very productive conversation in terms of, hey, we were just listening to each other and having an open dialogue. Today, I think they're going to dive deeper into divisions. What is that going to look like? And also NIL. Oh, boy. Also NIL. You know what's ironic? We can sit here and discuss all the topics of the day, but if you really want to solve the football issue in this league, Miami, (laughs) <laughs> Florida State, Virginia Tech. I'm going to give you three teams with great national brands. I know you had Coach Cristobal. I did one-on-one with him. And we got Brent Pry, new man in charge of Virginia Tech. We just had Mike Novell on the show. And, again, they showed the promise in the second half of the season. Yeah. Those three teams. Again, Clemson's been a great standard. If you throw in an NC State's red hot, we expect them to be really good this year. Mac Brown last year, preseason top ten. You know, Pittsburgh has a breakthrough year. Kenny Pickett. All great. But Miami... Florida State, Virginia Tech, they've got to get back to being Miami, Florida State, Virginia. If that happens, give me two, give me three, permanent, whatever you want. You want to go one division, you want to go double division, whatever you want. If your football is good, it all solves the problem. Well, and that's why with Miami, we're finally seeing that investment, not just the financial investment, but the overall investment in football with support staff and everything else that it takes to run a football program because Mario Cristobal came to the table and said, look, guys, I've been at Oregon, I've been at Alabama. This, 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 it was a checklist this long of this is what Miami is missing. Now, if you can guarantee me I can get all this stuff, great, I'll come. And they said, okay, we'll get you all that stuff. I'm sure for the people in the league office, that was, is Miami gonna finally be back? This is what we've been waiting for? I've actually got the investment. Um, So that's why that's hugely important. And the excitement level in Miami right now, I cannot remember the last time I've seen people that excited about what Mario is bringing to the table for Miami. And I think we can all agree, college football is better when Miami is really good. Because you either love them or you hate them, and there's no in between. All right. But in that light, Andrea, in your visits with Cristobal, I've seen a lot of Nick Saban disciples go take jobs, most notably the guy that just won the national championship for his alma mater. There is a grace period, a building period. I mean, Kirby Smart did not flip that switch in one year in Athens. It took two, three years of consistent recruiting and building. How far off do we think Miami is at this juncture to getting that done? How far away are they from flipping the switch to being a contender in the CFP. Well, Mario has cautioned every time I've talked to him, let's let, let's just, you know, I know people are excited, but this is going to take time. And everybody I've talked to at Miami has said, we're going to give them time and the patience. Because, you know, that fan base sometimes can be a couple, little quick. A couple losses happen and, oh, my gosh, let's start flying airplanes. So <laughs> everybody knows that there's going to have to be some patience required and by the way it's going to be a prohibitive cost if they get rid of mario within a couple of years so he's going to be given the time whether the fan base is going to acknowledge that or not 
he is going to be given the time. But he has said this isn't going to be some overnight thing where suddenly we're going to be a championship contender in year one. Maybe they will be because they've got a great quarterback coming back and some good pieces. Yeah. And they've made some good signs from the portal. But with what he's doing in recruiting and his nonstop focus on that, plus the facilities, plus the NIL piece that you can bring in in a city like Miami, it'll be a couple of years, but I do think they're going to put themselves in a position to, to be in the conversation. You know, we talked about scheduling last segment, and this is a perfect example. Miami-Texas A&M is the kind of game oh, that yeah. you circle, right? You, we talk about changing the narrative. The only way you change the narrative is to win games. It's a game that we all want to see. Good for A&M for scheduling it. Good for Miami. Let's go play. Huge game. The hype on both sides is kind of, a and kind of reminds me of Miami, right. the SEC. Mm-hmm. A lot of hype and, hey, what have you done lately? Same thing with A&M but, and, and Miami. And then you get a game like um, LSU-Florida State, right, yep. early in the season. It, LSU, the last two years, has been as mediocre as a day is long, but it's got the great brand, great fans, great all. Same thing with Florida State. we got to get Florida State back to being a national power. Well, Those are games we want to see. And, David, I'll, I'll take that A&M Miami thing, and I'll go ahead and push that toward the top. That's as big an early season game for the ACC as a whole as they could hope for. Yeah, and people forget, like, Clemson just wasn't good in dominating the ACC. They've played these games year in and right. year out yeah. and won them. There is a reason Clemson's brand is respected on a level that is different from the rest of the ACC. It's not just because they win this league. It's because they go and play Auburn and Texas A&M and LSU, and they win those football games. So that matters. You know, the, the, the other side of the coin uh, that I've heard a few folks talk about and I think has been a, a, a thing that Jim Phillips has pushed is when you schedule down, don't do it on the cheap either because you look at a game like Pitt and Western Michigan last year, Pitt is in that playoff conversation at the end of the year. If they don't lose that game on the road, on a game that, frankly, no one thinks they should have been playing in the first place, but you play a home-and-home with a team that's, frankly, not supposed to be on your level, and you risk a loss like that. So part of it is schedule up with the big boys, and part of it is don't go cheap on the other side. Get you know Put a real schedule together. And Pitt's a great example. I mean, they open up with West Virginia, a game that should be played for college football lovers. If, I don't care if what Pitt team isn't you playing West Virginia or Penn State every year, we're oh, missing out on something. Oh, exactly right. And then they followed up with Tennessee. Again, it was awesome last year. And, of course, the Johnny Majors invitation, which Pitt wins in Knoxville, which, again, I thought spurred them on last year. And yeah. Same thing with Kenny Pickett. So there are teams that are scheduling, right? you just got to start winning those games. Yeah, no question about that. And that is going to continue. It's not like the league is suddenly going to be like, oh, well, we're going to get rid of divisions. Let's just focus on the conference. No, those are the types of games that we all want to see. By the way, can we say that the Pitt-West Virginia game with two Southern Cal alums at quarterback (laughs) is one of the more curious (laughs) concepts we have? Does that not personify 2022 college football, Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels? I mean, does that not just say welcome to college football in 2022? It's a a diaspora, if you will. A diaspora. Whoa, hey, whoa. All right, Elon, (laughs) Clemson, you're going to help us out here? Uh, But this is a whole point. College football, this is one of the great things about it. You get get culture that gets spread everywhere, right? Okay. And and I think this is – that is a perfect example of taking a game – 
that will be a big game on its own right, but there's going to be people in L.A. watching that football game yeah. that you would not have had watching that football game before. I mean, there's a lot of anger about the transfer portal and NIL here and everywhere. I think that's one of the good examples of how, like, it's worked out pretty well for everybody. Yeah. I'll give you five bucks if you can spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, on the print side, we get to, we get to Google these things that's first. That's what I figured. <laughs> you know, he looked it up 20 minutes before he showed up. I'm going to really impress the guy. Now, what's this? Diaspora. Yeah. We're going to use that in a sentence. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got to congratulate Andrea today. It's a celebratory appearance on Packer and Durham. Is Number it 50 for you today. What? Yeah, look. Number 5 0. 5 0. Did we get a mug? Did you get a mug? You get to make fun of Hale. He's only been on 15 times. <laughs> doing this whole time. Nanny, nanny, nanny. <laughs> Did she get a mug? Did we get a mug for well, 50? Well, if we found another mug, you know, Norvell made his 10th appearance. How about Norvell got a mug today? Got a mug today. Celebratory. I should get five mugs. Five no, times 10. It doesn't work that way. You know They're why? not five mugs a lot. That's a budgetary problem. <laughs> I'm just upset that just because she's smarter, better looking, more informed, better at her job, just because of those things you have her on more, I find this very upsetting. But don't worry, at 9 o'clock we have a very celebratory guest today. We do. Pete Thamel today makes his debut. But it's a little bit bigger than that in the world of Packer and Durham. Yeah. Yeah. Special, significant guest. Yeah. All right. Uh, happy reporting from Amelia. <laughs> Boy, this is a tough spot in the road, isn't it? Really oh, hard yeah. to do this, isn't it's, it, Hale? Huh? I, listen, it's the, the nicest lobby you're going to uh, work in. Truth in that. All right. Don't forget, uh, first round coverage of the ACC softball tournament tomorrow, 3 o'clock. All ACC will get you covered as well. Uh, you'll get uh, conversation and highlights of the softball championship from Pittsburgh. And it's for you on ACC Network and also streaming live on the ESPN app. Should be a sensational event in the Steel City. When we come back, uh, more on this name, image, and likeness guidelines and uh, the lovely statement of if it happened before yesterday, it'll be applicable to the interim policy. It's one of my favorite lines ever. Uh, We'll come back with more Packer and Durham live from Amelia Island next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham podcast. Packer and Durham. <laughs> this is what happens after the trainer has a little mishap. <laughs> Big gator. boy gets completely full. <laughs> Late afternoon sun. Goes for a little nap. You notice with the trainer, the hat, nothing left. What are we doing all with gators? Goes. How come so many gators have got all these beautiful beaches and we're just looking at gators this morning? So. I, I will tell you, you know, I don't get out of the basement very often. Not it's very often. Well documented. Yeah. Uh, this really is a paradise. Yeah. This is an incredibly beautiful resort. Yeah. No yeah. Check it out. Got your Carolina blue on today. Uh, yeah, well, I dressed in the dark. I didn't want to wake up Mrs. P. That's for Bubba Cunningham, by the way. By the way, bring your wives to an event like this. You know why? You get to be husband of the year, don't you? Well, that's part of it. Yeah, it's absolutely part yeah, it's, of it. They put up with a lot. It's like a perfect appetizer before the main event oh, trip yeah, coming no, up. Yeah, heck yeah. That's what's the deal. Well, we got to figure out two weeks of uh, Packer and Durham without Packer, but we'll get that done for you here starting week after next. Um, we have spent a lot of time this morning in and around the NCAA uh, guidelines, if you will, that were introduced yesterday. Um, part of that document was aimed at the collectives. Yeah, uh, I think the NCAA senses that the collectives may be kind of a rogue NIL operation. Well, they basically now say, hey, collectives equal boosters. 
yeah. uh, whether you like it or not. That's the rule. So schools, you better get a handle on your collectives. And if uh, those folks are making direct contacts with the student, uh, that's a problem. Yeah. And, but I'll say it again, Wes. Everything, all the, all the literature you read from what was passed in terms of rules and regulations by the NCAA, fine, great, awesome. Get your lawyers involved so we can look, dumber, dumber it down for us so we understand what's going on. But I want to see somebody do something about it. Right. You know, until you sit there and tell me, hey, guess what, School X, we got you. Right. And we're going to penalize you severely. I, this is all talk. That's all it is. Yeah. So I want to see the walk. Again, name, image, and likeness, 10 months ago, not one single school has been penalized. Yeah. Zero as of today. We'll see. By the way, as you can tell, the backdrop here, sun's coming up, beautiful day on hand here in North Florida. Pretty solid, huh? Yeah, we're working all day. I know. I mean, this if, is you're pretty th- if you're trying we to talk, work, your, though, this if, isn't bad. If you're trying to talk your way into get nine in, no, no, I didn't bring them. They're not even here. You didn't bring the six. Not even here. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. I didn't either. No, we're here getting it done. Uh, and looking forward to some really interesting conversation. Uh, not just stuff you'll see in our three hours, but things we'll do throughout the rest of the day, perhaps that you'll see again tomorrow, and uh, and maybe on into the summer months here on ACC Network. Um, the other thing that came to mind through these conversations this morning. Uh, boy, Jim Phillips has done a great job with leadership, hasn't he? Well, Setting a tone for these coaches. And I do think that coaches have asked, hey, boss, what's the story? I mean, give us the direction of what we need to know. What are the rules? What can we do? What we can't do? Is there any clarification with name, image, and likeness, the transfer report? I mean, there's so many major questions at stake here. And the good news, I think, for the ACC is that Commissioner Phillips is tied in with so many of these different committees. So if there's ever a guy that's got a pretty good handle on the lay of the land of where it's going, it's the leadership group situation right now in the Atlantic Coast Conference. I also think, too, we're probably a little guilty in the volatile landscape that is college athletics right now of wanting something to happen just like that. And we still have to remember there is a long game to this pack. There is a game of patience that has to be played. Right. Well, nothing happens quickly in college athletics, right. period. Even though that's why the news of the NCAA and what they announced yesterday really was kind of news shattering because right. it, they did move quickly. That's what I said to you last week. At least I'm getting a sense of the people that I respect. When you hear their voice, you pay attention to what they say. I thought last week you got a sense that, hey, there was some serious movement. And again, the NCAA, I thought, moved pretty quickly yesterday with their guidelines. Yeah, the board of directors in issuing these name, image, and likeness guidelines to schools, uh, you know, it's still got to reach some, some policies, if you will, but the NIL finally at least has a small rail, right? Yeah. I wouldn't call it a, a wall or a yes or no, but they've got some things up there that kind of outline what you need to do, right? Well, it goes to the, the collectives I thought was the big tie yeah. because it was all tied in that, hey, we look upon them as boosters. Now, if we find out that a collective uh, has gone out and given a ridiculous sum of money to somebody, they're going to get after them. Yeah. And, and so, again, I think they're going to. That's why I keep saying I want to see them walk the walk. Can they do it? And are they man enough to do it, Wes, because waiting at the end of the line – is going to be litigation. And quite frankly, the NCAA has been lousy in the courtroom. Lousy. That's the other part about this, though, Pac. There's so many different elements at play because the minute somebody gets challenged, the legal side of this is an entirely different dynamic. And you say the NCAA hasn't been successful. Here's the other thing, too. 
a year ago. I mean, not just what he said three months ago that was impactful to us, but a year ago, Bubba Cunningham was talking about antitrust when name, image, and likeness came into being. Right. And we're still talking about antitrust. We're now talking about the potential unionization of college athletes. We're talking about a CBA in college athletics. All things that America relates to from a professional sports ranking, right? NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, all those things. The only difference, though, is in the National Football League, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the WNBA, you pick your favorite. There's more legislation, there's more regulation, there's more rules and standards in professional sports Correct. than there are in the amateur game, which is the problem the amateur sports world has right now in college athletics. Yeah. What are the rules? That's why the coaches this week were asking Jim Phillips, well, give us the leadership. Where are we going? What so, are the rules? Okay, but we get guidance issued on NIL. That's all we got was guidance. It just like I said, a small rail was put up or a small map, if you will, was drawn. There, there's nothing hardcore here. And you, you, you mentioned this. If they go after somebody, there's going to be a response from the legal side, right? I would assume so. I mean, it, it now complicates in some ways the path, almost to the point where you wonder kind of how this evolves and who's going to be the first into the deep end. We're talking about football schedule. Who jumps in first to kind of set the tone nationally if they abolish divisions? I think the really interesting part about this, from a name, image, and likeness standpoint, if somebody's prevented from transferring, if the portal gets a guideline or something of that nature, we just go inch and inch closer to some brand new world totally, I think. Well, I, I tell you what, it just, and you and I were walking around last night talking to as many people as possible. Oh, there are more people concerned now than they've ever been. Oh, we've been to a couple of these, right? And I don't know if I've ever seen ADs and coaches walking around having conversations almost like, not that they're defeated, but like, man, we've just been through the ringer and back. We yeah. just need a, a life raft here. We just somebody threw me a rope a little bit and just kind of get us heading in the right direction so we're going all in the right direction. I think that's part of the problem. That I think everybody's just kind of walking around going, hey, what are we doing? Yeah. We, this can't continue to operate at the pace that we're going because we're going to no man's land right now. Yeah, I, I still kind of stand to, to what we were talking about earlier this week, even with the stuff yesterday and what may develop out of here what came out of Scottsdale, Arizona last week with the, you know, that kind of landscape out there with the four conferences, Mountain West was out there, Pac-12, Big 12, that kind of deal. Uh, I still believe that the five commissioners and Jack Swarbrick, who is here, saw him last night, yeah. uh, those five, those six gentlemen are going to be the stewards of major college athletics. 100% agree. And you know what? I'm glad they are because mm -hmm. I actually have faith in them as opposed to saying, hey, Pac, well, you think the NCAA can come up with the answer? Hey, they had, they had a two- or three-year head start to get in front of name, image, and likeness and eventually waved the white flag and said, hey, Congress right. will handle it. That's not a solution. Yeah. But I do have total faith. I mean, really, the smart people in college athletics are running the Power Five, and I throw Jack Swarbrick in there because I got nothing but respect with what he does at Notre Dame. Yeah, and I it would, all works. I would add, I, while I appreciate what Greg Sankey and George Klyovkov did this week. And they had to. They had to. But I would also add this, too. I'm not so sure that given the landscape of the country, from a government standpoint, you want to let that 
body of work get involved in your business no, if you can handle no, it? No, I, I don't. In my opinion, if you can't handle your own business, yeah. you're kind of at the mercy of the gods. And that means Congress will get around to it whenever they eventually get around to anything. So to me, that can't be a plan yeah. B. you got to take ownership of it. And that's why I was encouraged last week when you saw the movers and shakers of college athletics going, hey, we're concerned, and now it's time for us to go do something about it. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got a uh, 9 o'clock hour coming up. Uh, top of the hour, Pete Thamel's going to join us here from ESPN.com. He's been at the pulse of the Jordan Addison situation and the Zay Flowers situation. Look forward to talking to Pete. And EMAC, Eric McLean joins us in the power hour as well. We'll get a first look at, uh, at ACC football from his perspective post-spring. We'll do that and more. We continue. Packer and Durham from Amelia Island on the Atlantic Coast Conference television network. Packer and Durham.